woodcut can be um, a useful tool, um, a useful technique to make um, contemporary statements. friends, and welcome to a special broadcasting of Pine Copper Lime, the internet's number one printmaking podcast, in collaboration with Print Austin and our friends over at Studio Noise Podcast. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. I release weekly podcasts with people in the print world who are doing something a bit beyond the expected, so please subscribe on your podcast listening app of choice. You can also find Pine Copper Lime on Instagram, and Facebook, and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter with print news from around the world, all at pinecopperline.com. Printmaking forever, shun the non-believers. This episode of Pine Copper Line is brought to you by Print Austin, an artist-led nonprofit working with local venues and artists to showcase traditional and contemporary approaches in printmaking. Their annual festival will take place 15th of January through the 15th of February, 2021, and offers both safe, in-person printmaking-focused experiences and virtual programming. You can find more information at printaustin.org. Also, Print Austin's highly anticipated print fair, Print Expo, is reimagined as a virtual experience this year that includes a one-day conference on February 6th. Along with this, they're also offering an exhibition where artists will have the ability to showcase and sell their latest prints online. Visit printexpo.org to learn more. There's a link in the show notes. This episode of Pine Copper Lime is also brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your practice since 1997. We here at PCL have been very grateful to partner with them to help keep bringing you weekly printmaking content from around the world. But they do not stop there with support. No, no, no. Among all their projects, programs, and printing goodness they help enable, they're also helping to bring you this year's Print Austin Contemporary Print 5x5 Exhibition. So head on over to speedballart.com, check out their line of products, and find out how Speedball can help support your printmaking. There's a link in the show notes. Print friends, I have some great news for you. We are happy to announce that this year, the West Coast Print Fair will be hosting an online exhibition of contemporary and historical print work from workshops and galleries such as Crow's Shadow Institute for the Arts, the Maloney Printing Company, my alma mater of Davidson Galleries, and many more. This means you do not need to travel to see a wealth of incredible prints for sale. You can do it from the comfort of your home or studio including a selection of amazing works for under $500. The event is up now through the 8th of February, so be sure to check out that link in the show notes or simply go to westcoastprintfair.com. There you will find the entire roster of printers, find new work to inspire you, and support the art of printmaking by bringing home your new favorite print. My guest this week is Oliver Pinnock, one of the finalists of Print Austin's exhibition, The Contemporary Print 5x5 juried by our friend and guest of episode 43, Delita Martin. Oliver is a Slovenian printmaker working across a range of old and new technologies. We'll talk about the Slovenian print tradition, how he turned to woodcut after a 10-year hiatus, the face app that makes you old, and just how far it can go, as well as what identity means once a face is no longer recognizable. So, 
further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to find faces and light sockets with Oliver Pillick. Hi, Oliver. How's it going? Hi, Miranda. It's, it's going very well. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for joining me from a, a snowy Slovenian afternoon to a, a hot and sticky Bangkok evening. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me again. Um, I'm looking forward for this interview. Yeah, me too. Me too. So would you mind just kind of introducing yourself a little bit to the people who are listening and just saying who you are and where you are in the world and what it is that you do? Right. My name is Oliver Pilich. I'm from Slovenia. Um, I work in a, as, a, as a freelance artist, um, mostly in the field of printmaking, but also um, drawing ready-made objects and photography. I live in a um, small town called Kamnik, which is it's a small town, I think, uh, like 18,000 residents. Um, um, and it's, an, it's on the northern part of the country. Um, it's called Kamnik, which would translate as Stoneville or Stone Town. It's 800 years old, um, almost there, um, where I also have my studio there um, and so forth. So I um, um, try to um, work um, as much as I can um, there. So. And so despite that, you are, you're not a lithographer. You are, you no. do, <laughs> despite living in Stonetown, um, right. but you're, um, you are a printmaker, as you said. And so could you just tell us the story of what it was like growing up in Slovenia and how you came to art and to printmaking? Well, I was always um, drawing, I guess, since I was a kid. Um, so um, there was no question um, where to go after my primary school which was um, which we finished at the age of 14 um, and then was uh, we have like two chances um, art high schools let's say like that um, so my selection was um, high school of paper and, and printmaking um, where I was introduced to the um, let's say all the techniques um, there and so on to the um, um, drawings uh, and um, so on so so I actually associate Slovenia as being really wonderful for printmaking um, and having a really strong tradition and extremely technically beautiful prints coming out of there and so it sounds like you were able to go into a printmaking program at 14 is that what you were saying I didn't know it about that time, but there was a printmaking um, courses in the high school, which I liked. Mm, gotcha. Um, but it's true, it's a very strong tradition. I think we have um, one of the oldest, if not the oldest, um, biennial in the world. Oh, really? Um, which began in 1955, yes. Oh, is it, and is it, what's the name of it? Um, International Printmaking Biennial Ljubljana, which is the capital of Slovenia. Yes, yes. Um, from 1955, and um, I think they put us, um, the, the, that fact in '55, they put us on, on the map internationally with all the um, 
superstars of the time um, on the first exhibition already, Rauschenberg and so on. So it was great for, um, let's say, um, to start a strong tradition. <laughs> let's, say. let's put it like that. Yeah, absolutely. And so you started sort of taking your, your printmaking courses and then where did that lead you? Like, did you end up going to university for it or like starting your own studio or what, where did it take you? Well, I did printmaking maybe for about um, only a year after the high school. And then, and then I lost interest um, for some reason um, and started to paint. And I was painting maybe um, 10 years um, without any, almost without any printmaking. Um, I was only doing occasionally um, liner cuts, and that was it. So I was um, a little bit of printmaking in in high school, 10 years of painting, and then I discovered, um, discovered, and uh, um, quotations, printmaking again, but um, as a form in the woodcut, which I'm still doing right now. So. Gotcha. So what sort of brought you back to it then? Uh, I can't even remember where I discovered. I think um, through searching, um, as I always do, um, to find my inspiration is through art mm. or to... Um, look at a lot of art um, from history. That means from prehistoric times um, and all the contemporary art that's happening right now. So I was fascinated, I guess, by the fact that um, woodcut is still so strong um, in the field of contemporary art, which I still find um, amazing because um, nobody wants to do it in a way. It's so um, conceptually structured, um, like all the contemporary art is anything but but um, woodcut printmaking. Mm. So that was the um, I guess the strongest reason I was um, I started to um, search search through that and develop um, and actually try to find my own technique how to how to realize ideas um, in the form of woodcut. I say like that. And because yeah, you do have like a particular technique that you use to create your woodcuts. Would you mind describing that for us? Well, the first thing is I try to approach it in a conceptual way. So um, it means I definitely um, try to avoid this, um, like they did it in the earliest 20th century, maybe um, in the German expressionism and so on. Um, I definitely didn't want that. I wanted um, to, um, I mean, just to combine like the fact that this it's the oldest reproductional process in the world and combine it with um, the latest uh, reproduction processes in the, uh, which is the screen mm -hmm. or the video mm -hmm. and just to combine those two um seemed like a good idea to um, um like see a woodcut in a new way so the way um, i did it is through um raster or how do you call it like linear lines uh, that they shape and i avoid gesture first in, in this way and also in the end the effect is photographic which also goes with the concept because it's in a way it's, um, such a slow process like making woodcuts um, but then the final effect is photographic which is like a split of a second mm -hmm. so it's um, a long process and also um um, a photographic effect. Yeah, and then so in terms of how you actually develop 
your block? Are you like line bitmapping on the computer kind of to set it up? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How do you go about doing that? I always make the the um, final image of everything on computer. Mm-hmm. So the fact is that um, I use um, applications like Face App, app Photoshop, computers, uh, videos, and so on. Um, and I do everything by computer, and then I print the image in a laser print, and then I trace it um, on the wood block. And um, this is the second part of the process, which is um, all hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I carve, I carve wood block by hand. I, I also print by hand with Baron. Mm. Um, so it's a, it's a gap um, between image making on a computer and making it um, on the um, on the wood. On one hand, hand everything is computer made. On the other hand, everything is handmade. So I try to make um, this as wide as possible in terms of process, I'm, I'm, I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so do you say you've been doing that for about 10 years? About eight years, I think. Um, okay. Uh, but I only do woodcut. I don't do any other techniques than woodcut because it's, um, as I mentioned before, it's only the fact that it's the oldest technique um, I complement um, in the process um, or ideas, which other techniques wouldn't be useful, maybe. So in the course of doing it for eight years, the technology side must have evolved because it moves so quickly now. I mean, the, the woodcut side is is going along, of course, as that first oldest, truest reproduction technique. But how right. have you found your process evolved sort of as technologies evolved? I don't think there's any difference. Um, yeah? In, in terms of woodcut, no. But um, in terms of um, new applications that I use, I didn't use like eight years ago, yes. Yeah. Because I use... Um, uh, right now, I'm doing a, a series of self-portraits using FaceApp. The one, the the, the 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 feature that makes you look old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I used, and I used it like um, eight or nine times. So it means I um, use the app in the photograph um, once. It appears old, and then I use the old one. And make it old again and oh, again and again wild. and again until until the applications um, says um, the face could not be recognized anymore. <laughs> so then I stopped, and then I'm making um, this series of nine portraits um, of me growing up in a way. Yeah, yeah. So does it eventually? Because I know that the face app that you're talking about and it's works incredibly well. You know, I mean, it, it the way it, yes. I've just run my face through it once and it is hardly discernible as having been altered. You know, you just look like you're looking at an older version of yourself. Uh, interestingly enough, when, when I do it, I look exactly like Hillary Rodham Clinton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like it's shocking. Um, oh so God. now I know, you know, what I have to look forward to. But um, yeah, it's... Uh, when you run it through over and over again, does the actual image kind of start to degrade? Does it become more kind of cartoony or does it, does it hold that realism the more you use it? 
the image of the face, um, it, it it gets wrinkled in a way. Mm-hmm. And here's another detail. I wanted, and here's another detail. I, I, I just wanted to um, make as many images as possible, but it wouldn't let me. Mm. The, the app um, stopped at some point. And I was wondering why maybe I should um, use um, a younger me photo. Mm. And then extend the process, and I would get like 15 maybe. But it's not. Uh, I think the app works in a way that um, the most important features of the face are eyes um, mm. and the mouth. Mm. So um, the more you open your eyes and your mouth, the longer the process of um, repeating, making your, yourself older, uh, it gets. So. Okay, so if you if you go at it with wide eyes and wide mouth you can run it through more times yes because it it must sort of recognize them longer then that makes sense but the last image is um is absurd it's um <laughs> grotesque it's, i bet it's like it's it's interesting because it's almost no identity which is almost uh, which is also something i'm interested in um what is an what is identity um, in someone's face if is the if the face cannot be recognized? So um, when it's going to be printed, I think in um, to color would cut. Um, I guess would like have uh, we're going to have an, a nice effect mm. in the end, mm-hmm. and it's not going to look like what to get until. Only if you get very close to the print, maybe um, you're going to see it's a print. So. Right, right. Yeah, so because from far away, it will look like some sort of a photographic. Yeah, reproduction. and it's really well done. Um, I do, um, like, I spent a lot of time um, doing the um, the actual matrix. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, what you were saying about, you know, what is identity if a face isn't recognizable? Yeah, it's definitely a question of, 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 of how we are so programmed to recognize people by face. You know, that's just like we, we, we see somebody's face and it's why, you know, we see faces in light sockets and clouds and cars is because our brains are just hardwired to be so face centric and so interested in faces. Yeah. It's called Century of the Self now. Yeah. <laughs> Century of the Self, you said? Yeah. 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 I mean, the age of selfies and so on. So Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. The 21st century has been, yeah, the selfie age. But yeah, the way that, that and when you think of someone, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're asked to picture someone in your life, of course, you know, you're going to picture their face. For some people. I mean, it's, you know, one of the, the, the most famous living portrait artists and you may you may know this already but i just think it's a really interesting fact is of of chuck close is that i was gonna mention him yeah yeah, his face blindness Um, he cannot recognize faces but he's doing (laughs) yeah isn't that interesting it's isn't it great yeah yeah and so it's you know something that we see is incredibly recognizable you know particularly when it's a portrait of a famous person um, yeah. and we're just like, oh yeah, that's, that's so-and-so it's, it doesn't actually mean anything to him. He, um, I heard an interview with him once where he was saying that he, in his apartment complex, he recognizes his neighbors by their dogs. 
you know, <laughs> come into the elevator with him, he can be like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's the Pomeranian, that's the guy down the hall, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's insane. And he once, I think, said this, he cannot remember the face. And, um, like, from a person, there was, um, uh, they were together on a dinner, like the night before. And then he met them on the street and he cannot recognize them. Mm. And a lot of them were thinking they were, he was kind of a rude guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think probably before it kind of, you know, came came out and was more widely known that this 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 can happen to people and that, you know, it, it belongs to him. It's you can imagine really easily taking offense to someone that you were just sitting across from for dinner the next day snubbing you on the street. But yeah, it's 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 a fascinating idea the way we, we wed identity and face and also, you know, as faces change because when they change slowly over time we can kind of deal with it. But you know, sudden change uh in, in faces it, it can be really sort of disruptive. Yeah. Yeah. For people and with identity as well. The the thing is I think that that also um most of the people, or most of us, um, wants to look young or beautiful and so on. Um, nobody wants to grow old and um, so on. So um, I'm actually trying to do that also, to um, expose the things um, you don't want to confront, maybe. Mm -hmm. Like not so beautiful ones. I, I've always tried to think about getting old as a privilege. You know, whenever I see signs of age I, I just I just try and look at it and think I'm really lucky because not everyone gets to yeah. experience this you know and and I think it might have been my grandmother who had a you know who who lived until her her 80s you know who was just like well getting old isn't fun but it beats the alternative you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, it is it is a big question. About like eight years ago now, maybe more, I think maybe seven or eight years ago, I got a really bad case of Bell's palsy, which is that's where half your face gets paralyzed. And I okay. I couldn't move it okay. for six months. It's just a it's it's a it's a not that unusual. It's it's but it's an inflammation of a of a nerve in the face that is caused by the herpes virus. So it's if you've ever had chicken pox oh, or yeah. if you've ever had shingles, you can get Bell's palsy. It's the same virus. Oh my God. So it attacks the nerves just like chicken pox does. And so for six months, I couldn't move my face, half of it anyway. And it was shocking. I'm... Yeah. Yeah. It, and it comes on in the course of just a few hours, really. Um, it comes on really suddenly and it's terrifying if you don't know about it because of course you think you're having a stroke you think you think you're you're something really quite serious is wrong and well it's not comfortable it's not life-threatening in any way it doesn't threaten your health in any way but okay. it threatens your mental health a bit as you can imagine and I I remember sort of trying to use it as this opportunity to say look I'm not going to be in charge of how my face changes mm -hmm. as I get older, if I'm lucky enough to get older. This is a chance to let go of that, <laughs> you know, to kind of be like, well, yeah. my face is going to do what it's going to do. And 
I don't get to have a say in it and I haven't done anything wrong and I just have to live with it as it is, you know, and it was accepted. Accept it. it was really interesting. And so trying to see that again is an opportunity to learn a little bit about the, the process of aging. Yeah. But it is that that inevitable process, isn't it? It's unavoidable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it is. And so. Before you were working with the, the the face app and that sort of thing, you've been doing faces before as well um, and working with faces. Yes. Did you always use portraiture as your subject for your woodcuts? Not always, but most of the okay. um, woodcuts are faces. Um, for instance, my first series, I think, was um, morphing two faces together. Mm-hmm. So I was so I, I was doing that on the on the Photoshop using. If you know maybe Mauricio Cotelan, the artist Italian, and his work, him, which is a wax um, um, sculpture of, of uh, Hitler. Okay, so he used this uh, photograph of, of his hyper-realistic sculpture of Hitler and also um, a photograph of Donald Trump, and I combined them, mm. and I got um, the third person, mm. and I was repeating that like... Um, um, endlessly, and making Kuczka stuff out of that. It's a um, kind of interesting series, um, having um, like um, 10 or 15 third-person um, guy. Let's yeah, yeah. What was that like to spend that much time with the the faces of two evil men, <laughs> like staring back <laughs> at you but combined into one? Well, here's the interesting thing is... Um, the face is somehow, on one way, um, more more um, um, Hitler or more Trump, but in some cases, is like totally different person where you can't recognize either of those. Mm-hmm. Which is also um, kind of fascinating that um, a third person appears, a kind of again with no identity. Who is that? Right. You know, I've, I, I've seen the series that you're talking about, and you're right, it is really interesting how sometimes when you see it, you know, these like, because these are two iconic sort of triggering faces in our world, so you know them really well, like you, like people really know these two faces, and when you look at them, some of them, you think it's just an odd image of Hitler, some of them you think it's just an odd image of Trump. And yeah. then some of them, it really does look like a third person that and then that that baggage and that history and that legacy that you bring to that image is just gone when it's no longer recognizable as either. Yeah, that's really interesting. The reason I chose um, a sculpture instead of photograph of Hitler was um, to look um, even more out and mm, <laughs> in a way. Mm, mm-hmm. Well, I would I would think that, you know, at least with with images of Hitler, there's a finite amount of them. Right. And and a lot of them are already, I think, in the public consciousness in a way. In the public subconsciousness, maybe even. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, we know what we've seen in the history textbooks and documentaries on the History Channel. Yeah. And so there's this like there's this like canon of images and if you were to pull from one of those, I think it would maybe tip the hand a little bit because it's already kind of this icon, whereas using 
a separate sort of object, a sculpture. Yeah, you you you're almost evening the playing field for a contemporary figure that we have almost an, an unlimited amount of images of. I, I, who knows how many hundreds and hundreds of thousands of images of Trump there are in the world? Too many. Yeah, too many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but it was um, a kind of interesting for me to put him in a context which he does not want to be, I think, maybe. And I also, I just chose him um, and his way of thinking and acting, um, not only in the States, but globally, um, as a perverse kind of um, thinking. So it's, um, it was some honest reaction. My, my reaction was an honest reaction. Mm. Um, and also, maybe if you know, we have um, the first lady, his wife is Slovenian. You, yes, I did know that uh, actually. The most famous Slovenian is Melania Trump. <laughs> How's that feel? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that I think that in their own way, people have more sympathy for her than they do for him. To be honest, at least speaking as an American, yeah, I, I think we have this kind of sense. It's like, look, she just wanted to be a model, wanted to marry a millionaire. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And then she's like what the fuck? I have to be first lady now? You know, like, this wasn't part exactly. of the deal. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah but so, saying that that yeah. happens to you. I mean, I mean, totally, totally. So I think that, I think that, you know, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, it's very difficult to, yeah, to make any sort of moral judgments on someone you know nothing about. In this case, it, I think we almost feel a bit of a, a kindred spirit and just kind of being dragged along for the ride like of this insane person. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just her seemingly taking absolutely zero interest in all the stupid things that the poor first lady is asked to do. Like, he's like just decorating the White House for Christmas in these insane ways, <laughs> that kind of thing. It's a big job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I heard that she does not want to speak Slovenian. That was the um, maybe in the papers here, but um, I heard it's a fact that um, really no ties with the language, so to speak. Wow! So Baron's not learning Slovenian alongside English, then, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think she cares. And... So speaking, I guess of just yeah, kind of Slovenian life and and culture and. One of the things that comes up when I interview people around the world is that this idea that printmaking is in a way this almost sort of unsung hero, you know, so they, they do this mm -hmm. art form and they dedicate themselves to it and they meet great people through it. And then they'll go out into the world and they'll talk to a, a somewhat a barista at a cafe or a taxi driver or professor of English. Yeah. And they'll be like, wait, what do you do? Do you make photocopies? Uh, <laughs> like, they don't understand what printmaking is. Is it that way in Slovenia? Or because you have this history in this biennial, do you find that people generally understand when you say you're a woodcut artist? Generally, they do understand I'm a woodcut artist. Absolutely. But here's the thing. Um, it's um, interesting um, among some of my friends, um, artists and curators and so on. Or the people I meet from abroad, they come to Ljubljana and and of course, the first question is, what do you do? Um, I mean, in what kind of field you're interested in? Mostly, it's 
like my friends are um, saying, I'm into conceptual art, I developed mm. this and this and that. And they're kind of shocked um, when I say that I'm in printmaking. Like, in a way, is that even a form of contemporary art? Or, or, right. right. But then, as um, conversation evolves, um, we get um, to know that um, woodcut can be um, a useful tool, um, a useful technique to make um, contemporary statements. I think, at least, it's... Um, the fact that it's here and also the fact that a lot of um, contemporary artists, um, even famous ones, um, are making woodcuts and so forth. So, But but, but I always have this um, sort of um, a, a little bit of uh, um, like stepping back hmm. problem from my friends. Like, <laughs> why are you doing that? Why don't you choose some form of um, performance art or... Yeah, something like some that, kind of which is contemporary. Art. Right, right. It's always fight between contemporary or not contemporary. Right. I think that people will confuse the words contemporary and conceptual as synonyms when yes. they really mean quite different things. And you know, to to paint with a with a very broad brushstroke about the art world, having been in it and in, in in three continents in a serious way is that, you know, Europe tends to be just really particularly interested in conceptual art, more so than I found in right. Australia or Asia. Yeah. It's interesting, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not super surprised to hear that that's the reaction that you get there because it's the, the kind of, I think that the really close relationship between academia and art making in Europe just seems to push it more in the conceptual direction. Whereas in Thailand, you feel, well, of course, there are art universities and art writing and art criticism. It feels like it's more wed to craftsmanship. More traditional. And yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But it's it's interesting that, that yeah, that people think that if something is sort of craft-based, that it can't therefore be conceptual as well, which is interesting, yeah. Which is insane in a way, because um, I think in the end of the day, um, the technique or um, it's it's not really um, necessary. It's the context, I think, and the uh, um, and the idea um, which which you would like to express and not, um, I don't know whether it's um, site-specific installation art or photography or performance art or and so on, painting, sculpture. It have to be um, meaningful is the first thing, I think, not the um, technique, So, which a lot of people don't realize, I think. They don't. They just think this, um, the latest technology um, makes um, art contemporary, which can be true, of course not. Well, I guess speaking of, of technology and the contemporary art world, so we got connected because you were selected for an exhibition that's taking place in the COVID world um, through Print Austin. Um, yes. And I'm wondering if you could just sort of speak to that exhibition a little bit and how you found out about it and what form it's going to take and all of that. I go through a lot of um, open calls. Um, I just Googled it. And, um, and one I found... Um, Interesting. I just apply, so um, I was kind of um, 
surprised when I got um, the email <laughs> from um, Print Austin. I was selected for the the Delita Martin, which I knew before. Yeah, I was like. Besides that, I also have I was um, selected for a solo show next year in March. Oh, wonderful! In Ljubljana and some other things. Um, so in that aspect, I was um, is like um, great year for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, having um, many shows um, already sh- um, scheduled up uh, for the next year. Yeah. The only problem is there go now. Some of the shows this year were. Um, cancelled or were put online because of the COVID because yeah. nobody wanted to I don't know how it is in Thailand or in the States but they wanted to just to um, avoid stuff um, that nobody will see the show because of that so they um, they did not open galleries and so on and just put everything online so it was um, at least three or four exhibitions of mine group exhibitions that happened yeah, well, it's like what we were talking about a little bit before we started recording is that that double-edged sword of the COVID art world where people yeah. are going to be taking so much more effort to create digital content, which will in turn reach more people. But there's nothing quite like knowing that your work's going to be seen in person either. I mean, a lot more people are going to see my work now yeah. um, because um, the um, exhibition in Austin is going to be online. I don't know even if... Um, um, me and you will be doing this. Uh, we will be doing this. Um, if it not, um, would be for COVID. Yeah, that's wild. But yeah, you're totally right. If you do um, podcast episodes, um, if the show is um, in physical, you know, Austin, I don't know how it works with with um, w- with this organization between you and them. I mean, I would I would guess that. I think that the organizers reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in interviewing some of the people selected because they were looking. Is this the first time? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. This is the first time we've oh, done okay. it. I've, do, I've done the interview. Okay. Like Print Austin's been oh. around for, for quite some time and they always do a great job with their event. But the reaching out to, it's, it's me and it's another wonderful podcast called Studio Noise, which is based in Atlanta and Georgia, run by Jamal Barber, who's a beautiful woodcut artist. So we're both talking to the, some people from the exhibition and Print Austin reached out because they were like, look, we want the digital content to be more robust than just right, yeah. go, you know, just go to the exhibition page and click detail view if you want to see more, you know, like they're th- trying to think yeah. about ways to make it more interesting and more dynamic. And so, yeah, that's why we were given the, the opportunity to get involved and yeah, you're it's right. It's a great way to do it. Great. Yeah, yeah, that it's it, it. Hopefully, it will open the door for more accessibility and more international outreach. You know, even in our Touchwood, hopefully post-COVID world. Yeah, which piece of yours did Delita select? I chose um, one piece for each year, um, so it's uh, one from fifteen, sixteen, seventeen from 1918 and from, I think, one from uh, this year. Um, I don't know if you saw, but um, there's a, I made a couple of pieces um, directly connected to COVID um, mm. or, or um, inspired because of the COVID. I was, the toilet paper, have you seen that one? No, I don't think I have. Which is... Um, a ready-made object, actually. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, um, a real toilet paper. I made the um, 
I was making um, a reference to Gerhard Trickster's toilet papers, um, his paintings from 1965, okay. um, a, a couple of years ago. And I always wanted to print um, the smaller version um, of a woodcut on the actual toilet paper tissue. Gotcha. On each paper. So um, I ended up um, making um, 140 on one roll. Oh, my gosh. And it was uh, actually um, in Slovenia was in March. The first um, lockdown was insane. I think in Japan also, but in France, I don't know how was in Thailand. But for some reason, people were going crazy after toilet papers. They like were. they're going to they're gonna run out of um, in stores. And they were like buying like this only paper, um, only toilet papers. <laughs> so, uh, so I made something um, which is totally um, invaluable, like a couple of cents. Yeah. Um, yeah. I made the piece which is um, very valuable, let's say. It wasn't so much in, in Thailand. We're really fortunate that Thailand has a really strong sense of, of unity and kind of civic duty. And so okay. this sense that you would go out and buy more toilet paper than you needed just so you could have it in case you don't have it. That doesn't really happen here. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, yeah. oh no, we're we're all in this together. I shouldn't buy more than I need because then maybe my neighbor won't. Like, it's a very there's a there's a really strong sense of unity. But I know that, you know, in the states, people were getting in fist fights over it. Yeah. So I made this um, and I sent it there. And also I made the um, one older piece that was um, from 2016, I think, um, called Texas Queen which is a pornographic image of an actress um, from film. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a um, snapshot almost like, look, it looks like snapshot that uh, um, there's a liquid, um, how do you call it, um, dripping in her, in her mouth, but you don't know what it is even. Mm. Is it water or, or, or something else? Um, Oliver, this is a family podcast. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay. I'm totally family teasing. Family podcast. <laughs> um, but it was interesting composition um, mm. of, of this work, which have been successful. I was, um, it's in a collection in Belgrade, Serbia, also the same piece and so on. Mm -hmm. So try to choose the, um, not the, the ones that we were talking before, the um, Trump Hitlers, because mm. how sure um, I'm not sure how that would work in America. Oh. So I changed my mind. I said, no, maybe um, toilet paper, some landscape, and uh, um, an adult film star. Yeah, an adult film star, <laughs> which you could hardly tell that is pornographic. But how would people react? Maybe if it's um, um, a silly question, if I would. Um, Send ten Hitler Trumps to, to the um, open court. Yeah, I mean, I you know I haven't you know been in America in years now, but I would guess that I would be I would be shocked if you were to find anyone in the arts or arts adjacent who would take offense by to the comparison you're making. I mean, it's okay. That's Fair yeah, I think I think I think you'd be you'd be safe, but you know, yeah, I, it, it just it it just seems like the the divide from you know I'm definitely at this point, like I said, outside looking in, but 
it just seems like the divide is so deep there that it's just you know anyone in the arts anyone in the city you know anyone in the city of Austin it'd be very unusual to find someone who supported him and then you know if you go if you go smaller places or more conservative places then you find people who support him 100 percent, and it's just very 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 divided so yeah very divided yeah well i would like to show um the pieces in flesh one day um in the states maybe it would be interesting yeah definitely how has covid been in slovenia you said you had your first lockdown in march have you gone through more than one? Oh, this is a second lockdown now okay um, from the beginning of october i think mm. oh wow and, that's some time now and it's terrible it's um i don't know what to say it's um, um even if you um leave out the um art world gallery uh, galleries museums and so on and just everyday life, it's, um, we have the police hour here, which, you, um, I mean, it's crazy. You cannot be outside from 9 p.m. to um, 6 a.m. Mm. And it's patrolled by police? Yeah. Um, max, um, masks all the time, um, outside also, except even if you're in the middle of a field yourself, you don't have to wear it. So it's, it's really difficult in a way, yeah. No socializing, everything's closed. This new year is going to be um, over one because um, by the government said you have to, uh, no more than six people um, in apartment um, mm. during the holidays and new year and so on. So it's um, it's awful, really. Yeah. And it's, yeah, going on since October. It's a long time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad that we could get a chance to connect and and talk across the distance and hopefully provided some relief from the monotony of lockdown. I know having gone through a couple myself, that's what gets to you. It's like the socializing on the screen is, you know, pretty much how how everyone does it these days. So, yeah. Thank you very much for having me and um, I hope it was okay. Um, Yeah, it was great. Thank um, you. You will get some... um, at least something out of it, because I know um, I listened to the last podcast, I think, um, mm. of yours with um, a woman, yeah, who's very honest, and it's great to listen um, when someone's fluent in English and yeah. so on. So it's, um, <laughs> this is going to be a little bit hard, I guess, for um, your listeners, but that's how it is. Well, you know, I actually have quite a few guests who speak English as a second or third or fourth language. Mm. And I think people really enjoy hearing from different places in the world and different perspectives. And yeah, I don't think that it's an issue at all. And I actually hear a lot of good feedback. So it's uh, thank you very much for for talking to us about your work and about Slovenia. And please tell people where they can find you and see more of your work and see the images that we were talking about on on Instagram. Absolutely. It's it's a great tool. I think... um, um, I will follow you um, your um, pine copper lime um, or pineapple lime yeah pineapple lime (laughs) Um, also um, it's a great site and um, hopefully we'll um, hear each other again yeah absolutely let's keep in touch and and let me know how everything goes and I'm sure we'll do some promotion come uh, the exhibition as well and we'll talk a bit then and I'll be in touch about maybe getting an image or two from you 
And absolutely. Yeah, yes. absolutely. And I'll put a link in the show notes to your Instagram page so people can follow you there. Okay? Thank you. Okay. Well, that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Emma Gunning. We'll talk about her chance encounters with monotypes, the urban landscape and our effect on it, and Bristol Prince Atelier. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.